Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined this week by Miles Danhausen. Miles, what is going on with the weather? <laughs> it's awesome. What are you talking about? It is like every time I check the weather, everyone was like, oh, we're going to get less than an inch. But we definitely got more than an inch of snow. Oh, yeah. I uh, I am one of those people who always doubts the weather and is like, oh, there's going to be 10 inches. They're like, it's not going to happen because so many times it doesn't. But the last two years, it's been happening. Like last year when we got the 30 inches, I'm like, that's not going to happen. And I didn't get my, my car out of the way of the snow and ruined. Yeah, we, we definitely parked in the garage for the first time this winter, which was nice to avoid all of that snow. But I, I particularly around the office, it's the running joke that I'm going to get stuck in the snow. Because you do. I do often. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I don't have a four wheel drive vehicle, which can't drive. I, I can't drive at all. I'm awful at that. <laughs> Um, but my neighborhood is a series of steep hills and 90 degree turns. So I have to slow way down to hit the 90 degree turns. But then if I'm going too slow, I can't get up the hills. Yeah. And likewise, I have to slow down going down the hills so that I can hit those 90 degree turns. But then I have to ramp back up to get up the hills. So 90% of the time when I call in and I'm like, hey, I'm stuck in the snow, it's because I'm stuck in my neighborhood. I made a stupid mistake in yesterday's snow where... Anybody in Sister Bay knows that you do not, in a snowstorm, you don't turn up the hill off of Maple Drive, um, in the, which is kind of in the middle of the main hill in Sister Bay by Husby's, because you can't get enough momentum as the, the hill steepens towards the top. You're just going to end up having to backtrack. We used to sit in Husby's and like make little wagers on whether or not this car or this minivan was going to make its way up the hill, and you would just watch them end up having to back up into the Mission Grill parking lot, now it's Lures parking lot. And I stupidly just turned left off of there and I, I made it to the top, but like barely. And I could tell that the guy with the big truck and the snowplow behind me was just like, just muttering at me behind. It's like one of those things you don't do. You, you, what you have to do there is drive down the hill, go to Al's and turn around and you get your momentum and then you can make it up the hill. Right. I always get nervous when there's people behind me because I'm like, look, I know that this isn't going to be pretty what is going to happen. <laughs> I wish that you didn't have to see it. Don't think I'm stupid. I know that this is going to suck what's about to go down. Yeah. So like, it's weird though, the, the way the hills in Door County work, like the Fish Creek Hill should be worse. Like the one that goes down into town that winds its way down to the, the main intersection there. Because that one has the winds, windiness in it, they will always salt and sand that one much more proactively than other hills in the county. So that one is actually like one of the easier ones to get up and down in the winter. But right. like the Sister Bay Hill, for whatever reason, it's always like we actually kids don't do this at home, but used to go sledding down that hill, like down the middle of the road in the wintertime, just because, you know, no one would be driving and, and you could just get like incredible speed going down that thing. Well, and that's the other thing about the plows. The plows come at almost almost seemingly strange hours because the 42 and like the, the main drags, those are the priorities to get those. But some of the other roads, like I know. 
E usually gets done before double E does. So when it <laughs> snows really bad, I go on E instead of double E, but then I have to make my way up that big hill too, which yeah. is kind of a problem. Uh, and then like my neighborhood usually doesn't get plowed until 1 or 2 p.m. after the snow has come. So Yeah, because you're like one of those sort of like side cul-de-sac type roads that very low priority. Right. Um, it goes, I think it's uh, the main corridors, the highway, highway 42 and 57. And then it goes to the county trunk roads. And and some of the individual towns have their own plows, like Liberty Grove has their own. So that might go a little faster than, say, another town that, that still relies on the county to do all their roads. But it's um, it's mainly due to, all right, what are the main corridors? So any ambulances and emergency vehicles can go through. And then they trickle down. So if you live on, like, if you're off one of those county trunk roads, you just might be three, four in the afternoon that you finally get hit. Right. So moving on from the the amazing weather that we're having this week. I like it. I like having the blanket of snow all over the place and the snow in the trees. I do too. I think it's just a timing thing for me. I would like to have this right before Christmas so that we have a beautiful <laughs> That's Christmas. True. That is true. And then everything can kind of slowly melt as we go through February and March <laughs> rather than getting these huge like big snowstorms at the end of January and then we'll probably get one in March and then we'll get one on April too. I'm liking the forecast now because we have the pond hockey tournament coming up on February 9th and we're two weeks out and we're looking at several days in a row of like zero to five degrees, which is going to be brutal. And I don't like that, but it means we're going to have a lot of ice laid down for the pond hockey tournament. Right. So let's jump into the news this week. We have just a couple of things that we kind of want to rapid fire get through. Lots of updates for previous things and maybe some new news as well. Uh, But then we're going to jump into our feature this week. So since the Fish Creek Winterfest is coming up next weekend, we got together with a couple of guests and we're going to talk through the the history of the event and, and what's going down this year, what's different this year. Um, and just kind of our, our experiences with, with Winterfest. It's a really cool festival, and I'm looking forward to getting into that interview. Uh, but why don't we just jump into the news? Uh, there's some stuff going on in Sturgeon Bay. It seems like every week we talk about stuff in Sturgeon Bay, but this is there's some good news and some interesting news. First off, you went to the West Waterfront meeting. We talked about this when we were going through the, the granary decision last week, is that you were going to go to the first West Waterfront meeting to see how they handled the news. Yeah, the, the Waterfront Committee in the, the meeting that was supposed to happen last week, they ended up not having that because they had two days full of West Waterfront meetings this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. I did go to a bunch of those and talk to a bunch of people in Sturgeon Bay throughout the day at coffee shops and, and restaurants. And then um, it started with what they essentially did is six different ses- sessions of stakeholder sessions of 10 to 12 people um, sitting around a table and just talking about what what they would like to see on that West Waterfront parcel between the Door County Maritime Museum and the Oregon Street Bridge. What challenges they see there? Like what could possibly work as private development on part of that site versus what could go in that public sphere? Everything from um, maintaining the working waterfront to clearing it all for green space. Everything was thrown on the table. It was the the facilitators from SEH uh, Consultants I thought did a very good job of just saying, hey, don't like nothing's don't get angry at an idea or or too pumped about any idea. Just let's just put it all on the table and see what shakes out when we when we shake up this big snow globe that is Sturgeon Bay. And then in the evening on Tuesday and Wednesday night, they had a session at Sturgeon Bay High School Auditorium where roughly 125 to 150 people came each night. And there were opportunities. They had this cool app. I think it was called Manti where 
they would ask these questions. And in real time, people could just go to that website on their phone, log in and select from some multiple choice answers, sometimes type in answers um, to a bunch of different questions they had just to, as a way of gathering a bunch of input on what people wanted to see. They also collected a ton of online survey responses. I think they have something like 400 online responses to a survey that they put out, which might still be open. I'm not positive it is. But kind of one of the more positive experiences I've seen in Sturgeon Bay in a while where people were just calm and and throwing ideas and asking some questions till people, despite the fact that it's been written about and podcasted about and discussed in like every single meeting for the last five years, there were still people with some very basic questions that didn't know some of the basics about what was going on with the waterfront. So that was good to see too, because you're like, okay, there is still groundwork to be laid to get people to come to the not the right decision, but any decision. Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, one of the big reasons why we talk about it in the podcast and why we write articles about it for the pulse is because it's a complicated issue and there's a lot of different pieces moving all the time with it. And when it, when it is something that's going to affect people specifically like right in the middle of town, like this is like, right. It's going to be a focal point no matter what happens. So when it, when it affects people like that, you want to try to to spread the word and get people all on the same page. So it's, it's good to hear that that type of work is still being done, getting everybody all in the same mindset, because when you don't have that, you have a lot of people's um, like first impressions or their knee jerk responses to something. And instead of having like people who are 100% for or against something, it's good to have everybody on the same page kind of going, okay, so what can we, what can we move forward with? That's going to be the best for everybody. And you know, it, it depends on how leadership decides to steer this information that they're getting because there are still, there are still a, a really good faction. As much as there was a lot of positivity, there are still certain factions that are somewhat powerful factions in the city who are still wedded to like, it's gotta be this. And I think those people need to get over it somehow. I mean, it clearly they do. Cause if, as long as they keep doing that, nothing's happening there. Right. Whatever side you're on, if your side is it's gotta be all about the granary and nothing else. And we can't have any private development and it, it can only be this park thing that we want. You're probably, you're going to stagnate there. And if you're on the other side that says we have to get every ounce of tax increment out of this and we can't do any, we can't waste any of this property on park space because it's got to be all geared toward the most possible tax income we can get. You're going to lose too. And you, and you have been for five years, it's just been stalled. So the people that's probably the most frustrating thing about this. And I won't go on the soapbox for long. I promise the people who are just still wedded to that kind of thinking, they need to either open their mind and change, step out of the room. Well, is this a good first step towards that kind of coming together? I hope thing? so. I it, hope so. It sounds like from what you're saying, it's more about gathering input at this point and, and trying to come up with something that's going to be best for the community. Is that correct? That's what it's about. And it comes down to leadership then. You know, the consultants can only do so much. They don't get to implement the plan. It comes down to the city's leadership which usually comes down to the mayor of saying, okay, we have all this input. Some of this we just can't do guys or some of this we don't have the money for, but we'll kind of do as much of this as we can and as much of this as we can. And, and you know what? We have all this evidence that people didn't want a certain thing and we have all this evidence that other people didn't want this. So like it can't be either of those exclusively. Like it it seems like a very easy decision to come from. It, It certainly seems that way to me. And most people I talk to who just say like, well, what's so hard about this? That's probably the most common thing. People are what is, what's, what's the deal there? Why is it, why can't they figure this out? But they haven't been able to. And hopefully this gives them the information to move that way. Right. 
So a, a couple of things that came out of that meeting, like some people, or a lot of people talked about wanting authenticity there, the working waterfront, those tugs that are always photographed. I mean, we've had them on the cover of the Pulse many times. You see, if you go uh, do a Pinterest search, you're going to find a lot of photos from tourists and visitors um, and artists of the West waterfront with the tugs and the old granary in it um, and the Maritime Museum. So there was a lot of call for that. A lot of people talked about putting an ice skating rink down there and using like the granary as some sort of warming house. There's a lot of people who mentioned a visitor center. Other people mentioned, there were a few people who mentioned, yeah, we'd, we'd love a hotel down there. It wasn't a huge fraction, but there were people mentioning it, which is important to note. It's, there's, there's certainly people who, who still like that idea. There are other people who say like, well, a smaller hotel or some sort of income generating piece down there. One other interesting thing that came out of it that I thought was helpful was a woman, Heidi Kennedy from SEH Consultants, who's kind of a water and shoreline expert, talked about what can and can't be done below the ordinary high watermark. And I think it came as a surprise to many who have even been involved with this a long time. That doesn't preclude any development from going on. You can still have private development, but it has to have either anything that happens below the ordinary high watermark has to have a public or maritime purpose. And so it can't just be like private offices or necessarily a restaurant, but it could be maybe a children's museum would qualify. A freshwater research station could be built there. There are different options. A museum that might have a cafe that's leased to a private um, and operated by a private uh, operator could fit in that space. So it doesn't mean that like nothing can be done there and it's just going to be an open green space. That might be what they decide they want, but it doesn't have to be. It could right. even be leased to a shipyard, a shipbuilder because it's a maritime purpose. It could be leased to the tugboat operators, the maritime museum. There's, there's a little more leeway in what could be done there than maybe was previously thought. Sure. What else is going down down in Sturgeon Bay? Uh, Yonkers, the retail chain that closed down last year, they're building on 4th. Yonkers has two buildings. Right. One on 3rd Avenue, the big white one, the big white whale in town, and then one on 4th Avenue. And they're, they're right in front of each other, right? Uh, they're, they're like one block away. Okay. Um, I think the, the post office is in between them. But the one on 4th Avenue was kind of like their, their home store, mm-hmm. um, furniture and appliances. That the county is looking at purchasing that to expand the archives of the Door County Historical Museum that's right next door to it. And they've put in an offer for five hundred thousand dollars. And the it's been something that the county's been looking at for a while about either setting they've been setting aside some money for, for something at some point. And this is kind of opportune because it's right next door. Obviously, you can operate it all out of one location. And it's a big building, it's twenty two thousand square feet probably bigger than the museum needs, honestly. But now they're waiting to see if Yonkers accepts their offer. And if they do, they, the, that solves a, a big problem for the historical society. Is that a weird choice, do you think? Or, or is it something that makes a lot of sense for its location? It makes a lot of sense for the location, I believe. It's a big building. I don't know what else they would do to solve this problem, right. but do you think that, what's your thought? Well, do, you, do you think the historical museum would move into that building or do you think it would share it between the two i think they would just expand they would keep their original building and then use this one for some of that expanded space that they need and i'm sure with that space they could find out a a way to use it right because i've been in the historical museum a couple times when you walk in there's this like this big installation right away that's got a bunch of taxidermy and 
these like handmade trees and plants and stuff that all kind of show off the ecosystem up here. Yeah. And then when you go back into the the rest of the museum, you kind of walk down some stairs and, and there's all this stuff that's kind of all smashed together. So I could see that being expanded out and having things with, with more thought into how they're laid out in a bigger building. But like you said, that is a, a really big building. And I don't know that even with, even with maximizing how they're using the space, if they could fill that building up as well as one that they have now, I would imagine a lot of that back room moves over there, keeping the, the, the big installation in the main building, of course, then everything else moves over. But then how do you fill all that space up? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's something where the county could sublease a section of it. Maybe there's more offices that the that museum needs. I, that museum is, you mentioned it, it is tight in spots. They've, they've made great use out of the space they have, but you're right, it is a little, I think, get down to that basement, which I think is kind of the cooler part where you see kind of a remod, like a reenactment of sorts of Chan Harris's old office from the Door County Advocate, which I love. And mm-hmm. then they have like um, Trudel's Grocery Store and some of these different kind of classic Door County names. I think now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, that'd be really cool if they expanded that and did more of that. Like if you had, you know, more odes to maybe some of those classic people and events, because there's only so much they can do with the space they have. So now, now that my wheels are turning, I'm thinking, yeah, you could have this whole thing about Roy Oshkosh. You could have this whole thing about Latham Smith, which I, I don't believe are in there. And forgive me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But now I'm, now I'm liking this idea. Another thought I'd have, which has nothing to do with the museum, but I'm like, if you, they want to make a corner into like a co-working space, I would definitely uh, chime in on that discussion because I go down to Sturgeon Bay all the time. I cover these meetings. It's always good for me to go in between meetings to coffee shops or bars or restaurants and kind of listen into conversations and run into people and get more feedback. But sometimes I just need to knock out a story. I would love to have a place where I could just go and rent an office for two hours for 10 bucks and just knock stuff out. And I know there's a lot of other people looking for that service and they usually exist all over the country. Door County, even as a vacation destination, doesn't have that at all. So there's my idea for you, Door County. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it and run with it. The other question that I have, and we'll move on from this quickly, but um, is, is that prime real estate? Because when I think of like the, the main stretches in Sturgeon Bay that I go to, I mean, Third Avenue is big, but what else is on there? I know Cherry Lanes is on that street too, right across from there, isn't it? Yeah, there's a couple different places there. The um, Community Foundation used to be located near there. There's, a, yeah, you're right. You know, they, I mean, Nicolay Bank, the new location of yes, Nicolay will branch. be on, on 4th Avenue, kind of on the other end of that little stretch between like Jefferson Street and City Hall. Right. Um, you know, there, there are a couple, but really not a lot of, I wouldn't call it prime real estate right there. Well, it definitely does solve that problem of what's going on with the Yonkers buildings because yeah, it, I think it, it is weird to have those two giant buildings vacant. Yeah. I mean, it's a big hole in, in the heart of Sturgeon Bay. If they could, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the old Yonkers building. There's been some murmurings of them trying to rekindle Yonkers as they kind of re reorganize. I, I wouldn't hold out hope for that. And I also, given today's retail climate, I don't know that that's a good idea anyway. Put your eggs in that basket. But, you know, if that were turned into studio apartments in the center of Sturgeon Bay, that could be cool. I think somebody should buy both buildings and put a sky bridge between them. That's that, just me. Just because it would be kind of cool to see a sky bridge? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really used to them being in Minneapolis. Yeah, everything. So. You have like a, a whole underground tunnel system in Minneapolis. UWGB has mm-hmm. that as well. I had an underground tunnel system on campus. We could get from place to place underground. In, and that's what UWGB had. 
Chicago, they have the whole Pedway. So you can actually, not a lot of people who even live there know about it, but you can go between most of the buildings in the loop. You can get around without ever going outside, um, both with kind of skywalks and then underground tunnels. Right. It's kind of cool. And they actually have like, people produce maps of like best places to eat on the Pedway. So there's like restaurants geared just to all the professionals walking around there. Yeah. On campus, we had a lot of our like uh, dorm rooms and housing buildings were built recently. And so they had sky bridges connecting all of them. But then the other buildings that were built in the past that weren't connected, uh, tunnels were built to connect all of those. So between the sky bridges and the tunnels, you could get anywhere on campus, save for maybe one building. Yeah, the tourists, uh, most tourists don't know about it, but the the tunnels underneath Ephraim that connect all the businesses in Ephraim are really useful for that same purpose. Right, yeah, and same thing with uh, Al Capone's tunnels underneath uh, Shipwrecked. Yeah, where you can go from um, Shipwrecked down to Chicago in a tunnel. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that must have been great for him back in the day. So one more piece of news that we have, uh, an update to the Millipond. Is it a oh, millipond yeah. or a millipond? It's a millpond. Okay. Um, the Forestville Mill Pond has been, uh, for readers of the Pulse, have seen a lot of this. They are draining the Mill Pond over two years. And this has become a big controversy because there are a lot of people who have bought homes around the Mill Pond over the years and built homes there. And they use this pond for recreation, for fishing and swimming and boating. Remind me why they have to drain it? There is a lot of sediment, I guess, at the bottom. And it's just not a healthy... Uh, ecosystem, I guess, within the lake now. And they looked at dredging and looked at some other options. I think the county evaluated 10 different options and decided this was the most cost-effective and the best way to deal with it. There were some questions that came out of the meeting. Jim Lundstrom covered this for us, in which there seemed to be some confusion about how the county ever came to this decision in the first place, with the conservationist saying that she believed that the residents asked for it, and then the residents all there emphatically said they did not. I, I don't know what the next step is. The county did say that they did make another final approval, that that's what they were going to go with, this two-year drawdown. So people around that lake would not have it for recreational purposes for two years. They were pushing for different options like just dredging and things that wouldn't just, you know, dredging like you would a marina and things where you still have use of it. You just dredge it and get the muck out. But the county said no. So the next step would be it just happens. Or those residents, I guess they could file suit. And I guess they're, they're probably contemplating that right now because obviously those properties suddenly become um, less desirable for the short term if anybody wanted to sell it, but also just not as good for your own living purposes. Any traction for my idea, which was to build another mill pond right next to this one, move all the water over and then move it back in two years? Yeah, that's no. Okay. <laughs> Well, because at least you have best best of both worlds. They still have the mill pond and you get to also drain the mill pond. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Why don't we take a break, Miles? And then when we get back, we're going to jump into our feature about Winterfest. Yeah. I'm pumped. Talking winter games. They called themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. 
Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, Miles and I are back, and for our feature this week, we are going to be talking about Winterfest, which is coming up here soon. It's the first weekend of February, and we brought with us two special guests to kind of tell us a little bit more about the festival, give us an in-depth view of what the weekend has to offer, and maybe some history about Winterfest as well. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm uh, Dan Stolenwork. And I'm Rachel Stolenwork. And what's your relationship with Winterfest? Uh, So we are a part of a committee. Uh, coming together to make this event happen. Really, I was introduced through Bob and Bonnie Spielman, and right now we are in the process of kind of handing off the reins and getting some uh, getting some new blood in there. And Miles, you can speak to this too a little bit. But how long has Winterfest been going on? What, what are some of the what, what's the history of the of the weekend? Uh, so basically, what uh, I was briefed um, before this meeting, it's our thirty second annual Winterfest. Uh, basically, my understanding, it's a group of guys that got together to try and raise funds for uh, the FCCA for the winter. Um, and it was a bunch of local guys that got together. Uh, everything used to be out on the ice, uh, the cars and the tent and everything. Um, and I believe they also set up a golf course uh, in the middle of winter. Yeah, they used to the the whole festival, I think, used to be down by the the little postage stamp of a beach that they have in the middle. And they'd have a tent out on the ice. And I remember back in the day, it was just like, we'd be taking the bus to school through Fish Creek. And we're like, cool, a tent on the ice. Like we, we have very low expectations for entertainment in indoor County in the winter. So it was just like, wow, they're doing something on the ice at all was always pretty cool back then. Yeah. We think, uh, this is a great event because obviously, uh, from Memorial day to labor day, everyone up here is jam packed. Um, the whole County is filled to the brim. Uh, but it's nice to take, take a step back in February when things are quiet and uh, stir some feathers and, and get a party going and, and bring people up here and, you know, show them, show them beautiful Door County with the snow on the ground and everything like that. Tell me a little bit about the, the inception of like the first Winterfest, because I've heard stories that this was uh, just a weekend to get out and let loose to kind of fight off cabin fever as it started to set in for the winter. Is that, is that what you've heard as well? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, it can get... Very tiring and boring. Uh, there's only so much Netflix and Hulu uh, you can watch in a winter season. So it's really nice to get out on the ice, um, get out in the snow, uh, play a lot of fun games, eat good food. Uh, and really, you can converse with the community and also, you know, the tourists that come in to visit as well. So and I think if I remember, and Bob's been involved with it. I can't remember. Was he involved from the very beginning, Bob Spielman? I know he's been a, a key guy. It's for, been at least 10 plus years. Yeah, I think it, maybe even 20 or so. I'm, I'm not sure how yep. far back he goes, but those those first couple of years, it was all about just, it, they actually got a ton of publicity right away. I think they called it Winter Games at the beginning, and it was sort of like playing on the Olympics, and what they have, like cherry pit spit, toilet seat toss, bike toss, all that kind of stuff. I know years later, we started, we actually tried doing a broomball tournament on the ice down there. Uh, that turned out to be really difficult because it's hard to play broomball without 
full boards. <laughs> Paul just <laughs> basically goes all over the lake. But what are, you know, and really like one of those classic things of somebody just like, hey, let's just do something off the wall to entertain ourselves. Um, and then it turned into a much, I know at one point they used to try and spread it over like two weeks and that didn't really take too well. So then it went back and it seems like it's really thrived the last five or 10 years, the human foosball thing they did for a couple of years. What are some of the things that are still going on and what are some of the new activities that are coming in this year? Uh, so we really love and appreciate uh, all the nonprofits that come in um, and set up their booths. Uh, it really helps us out uh, in terms of volunteers. Obviously, you know, not not a ton of people uh, live in the Door County area in the winter, the off season, as we call it. But yeah, this year uh, you can look forward to turkey bowling, tossing a bike uh, as far as you can for a prize. Uh, we also have the famous uh, meat spin um, and toilet seat toss is still going on. Uh, inside, what, what is the meat spin? The meat spin is basically you just pay maybe two, two to four dollars for a ticket uh, and they spin a wheel uh, and you can win a selection of meats basically from them uh, that are all frozen there for you to take with you. So um, and then inside, I feel the uh, the games are maybe drawn a little bit more to the younger crowd. Uh, we have minnow races uh, where they race inside of a. Uh, gutter basically um, and then there's a pie pie tin toss uh, into a mouth of a polar bear um, a cardboard polar bear obviously <laughs> not a real one that that'd be a lot cooler yeah <laughs> um yeah rage can you think of any other standout things we've got the chili cook-off that goes on in the afternoon um then obviously we're really trying to make a big deal about the stump fiddle you guys did not bring a stump fiddle in here to demonstrate this. Andrew, I was telling him about this. Yeah, I I, I heard about a stump fiddle. I had no idea what it was, so I looked it up and watched somebody play it, and I was like, this is this is exactly that kind of mythos of Winterfest that I was talking about. It's like people got together in the winter. I think that a bunch of people all left their house at the same time and saw each other through the snow and was like, hey, are you guys bored? And like, yeah, I'm bored. What do you got? It's like, I got an old bicycle if you want to throw that around. And like, oh, cool. I got a stump fiddle. And they're like, what is that? It's just, it's the most ridiculous instrument I've ever seen. It's like you bounce it up and down off the ground. Is that what I saw? Yeah, it's uh, it's really a unique, a unique piece of uh, musical equipment. Um, yeah, you uh, can play it. I think originally they played it to polka. Um, and polka halls, I, I want to say that it originated in the state of Wisconsin, Manitowoc, uh, Manitowoc area. But yeah, it's just a collection of random, I think I've seen a, a banjo, a tin can, a quarter barrel attached to one, bells, um, a cowbell, and then it has a almost a tennis ball on the bottom of the stick with all these items hanging off of it. And you can bang that to a, you know, your favorite song. Are there any other sorts of musical uh, events going on? There's live music at Winterfest. Uh, who, who's going to be playing this weekend? Uh, we'll have Bacchus Lotus playing at Winterfest this year. Um, they'll be playing, uh, I think, 1.30 they start, and the Stump Fiddle Contest is actually right in the middle of their set. So that's great because they'll be involved with getting people up on the stage and uh, helping with music and getting things going. So um, they'll be playing in the afternoon. What kind of music is uh, Bacchus Lotus? That's uh, Charlie Eckert's band, correct? Yes. Yeah, we'll have uh, Charlie Eckert's band play. Um, I believe it's all contemporary uh, contemporary rock, okay. I guess I would call it. And then Charlie Eckert's also going to be helping us with the 
uh, kind of the DJing of the events and making sure everyone's up for Stump Fiddle and gets called up. And I think he's also going to be helping us with uh, the famous chili cook-off as well. Excellent. And so tell me a little bit about like what, I mean, this must take a lot of different people helping out to put this stuff on, which isn't, you're also doing this in the middle of winter, so it can't be super easy to get the volunteers for this. What is it like? You were just, I mean, I helped put on the Door County Pond Hockey Tournament where we're out on the ice and freezing all the time. So what's it like to try and put this thing together out in the cold? So I would just start to say that our core group really, really help out with getting the events set up and organized. Um, I honestly do feel like there is a younger uh, presence in terms of volunteers, um, which is really nice. You know, people closer to our age who really want to put, you know, the fire back into an event like this and keep something like this going and keep it strong. Um, it's also nice that we're, you know, not completely swarmed seven days a week and, and working our tail ends off that, you know, people do want to come out and, and like coming back to that point of getting out of cabin fever, you know, um, even the setup day Friday uh, is just a great, it's, it's a great thing for people to come together and do. Yeah, we try not to make it super serious. Clearly with our stump fiddle and our Fruit Loop run on Sunday and all the wacky things that, that go on over the weekend. And I think that with that, you know, it's fun. We, um, our committees, we get together and we, we really enjoy the work that we're doing and the committee members are very engaged and it's something that is somewhat unique in that sense. Um, we all get very excited about what we're doing and we look forward to the event and we're all there on the day of um, enjoying it. And uh, it's been nice to have, like Dan said, some younger people wanting to get involved and join us for some of the setup. And hopefully that leads to, you know, good transitions from generation to generation so we can keep this going and keep it fun, lighthearted, wacky, weird, and all those, <laughs> all those things. Tell me about the Fruit Loop Run. So that's, that's a half mile fun run. What's the course for that? Uh, so it's right downtown Fish Creek. So it'll go right down through the um, sort of like the the main Founder Square area down towards Clark Park. It's uh, just under half a mile. Um, walk or run. You can wear a costume is encouraged. And you win a bowl of Fruit Loops at the end. So uh, again, it's just it's fun. It's to get you outside. It's to get you together with other people. Um, we want people to laugh and have fun and enjoy it for what it is and be up here and just have a good time. My wife is a big runner, and my first run that I ever did with her was the turkey trot uh, that took place over Thanksgiving. And that, I mean, that was hard for me, just even it being the three-mile run that it was. So the Fruit Loop run sounds right up my alley, because I can do a half mile. That's easy. That's that's from on deck to Bayside, basically. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that you have going for you this year, that there's, the Packers aren't in the Super Bowl. So I think like, sadly enough, that sucks, but it also means that I think Winterfest is actually ends up with better attendance when the Packers don't make deep playoff runs, because even in mid-January, when people are making their plans, they're like, well, I don't want to be out of town if they might go to the Super Bowl. So even like a couple of weeks in advance, people are just kind of have crossed that off. But now that the Packers have stunk for the last two years, you should have really good attendance for winter games. Yeah, I was actually talking with uh, Bob Spielman today, and uh, I think past couple years, maybe even longer, we've had a little over 2,000 people that have attended um, on Winterfest weekend. Um, It's really nice, too, because we have the trolley set up, uh, making stops around the Fish Creek area. 
Um, can also get you back to your car as well uh, so that you're not walking in uh, the blistery cold. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, having that shuttle available. And then, you know, another thing that we haven't mentioned, but that is part of this, I think uh, the Historical Society does like an all things chocolate thing in the old town hall. Yep. And uh, that that's awesome. And uh, you can spend a long time in there. <laughs> I actually volunteered last year, mainly because I was like, well, this might be an opportunity to get some free chocolate. And it was. But it's kind of cool. I think all these old um, ladies and members of the Historical Society just bake all this stuff. And it's it's pretty amazing what they put out there. And it's a big fundraiser for the Historical Society, which I know in, in Fish Creek is just a, a really strong presence. They're one of the older historical societies and um, have done a lot in that town. So kind of cool checking their stuff out. Yeah, I definitely uh, make sure to fast a few days before Winterfest uh, because on top of the Snowmobile Club providing food, um, and also the delicious beer, the chocolate and the chili, uh, it just everything just builds up into this one. It just it just makes me almost want to hibernate for the rest of the winter once I'm done <laughs> right. there. Tell me a little bit about the chili cook-off. Uh, so the chili cook-off, basically, I think what we're trying to do is we want we want to get as many entries as possible, bring in new ideas of chili, bring in your great-great-grandma's recipe of chili. Um, we're going to have four uh, celebrity judges. And do you remember the judge categories or we what? We have our celebrity chef, our celebrity, uh, celebrity <laughs> from box 11, I think, um, our celebrity student, I believe. And then we have a celebrity town board member. Yes. So very, very exciting. Uh, we will not release the name of the celebrity celebrity though. So you have to, you have to come and, and see it for yourself. And uh, yeah, so that's a good one. And then I also wanted to mention, too, with um, some of the other things going on we, um, up at Lautenbox, they have their cherry spit, as you mentioned. Uh, so that that goes on all throughout the day, which is nice. And it's along the trolley stop. And then the uh, Peninsula Art School also has an event that goes on. They used to do their soup event. Um, but this year they are looking at or they're uh, going to start doing some screen printing and some printing things. So that'll be kind of different and new for them. And I think they're excited about it. And that's also on the trolley stop. And then um, I believe it's also the candlelight ski for Peninsula. Yeah, that is going on this yeah. this weekend as well. Is Alexander's doing live music or anything yeah, Saturday night? So they'll too? have Big Mouth. Um, All right. They usually have Big Mouth on Saturday night. They clear out the dining room. It's a really nice space. It gets pretty rowdy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've that's been there usually, a few times for that. On yeah. you, like, like you were saying, it's, it's this time where everyone's like, all right, I've been laying low for a while. Everyone lets loose. Last year I was hanging out in the tent. It was the first time in a couple of years I've been able to hang out down there all day. And there was a snowstorm last year for the event and it was still packed down there all day. And so that, that scene in the tent, is just fun. There's a lot for locals. It's a lot of people kind of running into each other for the first time in a little while, an excuse to get out. And then for tourists, there's just like, so much stuff going on. I think Mike McCarthy was actually spotted. The <laughs> former Green Bay Packers coach was in the tent hanging out last year, and everyone was just like, do I go up and give him a piece of my mind or not? <laughs> like, well, let's leave him alone. But, um, yeah, it's a great time in, in Fish Creek, and it's a great tradition, and it's one of those that there's less of the focus put on. We have to do this to make all the businesses make a ton of money. It really has that its roots in, like, let's just do something fun, and you happen to make money because of that. So it's not, it's not just targeted. We need, to, we need to do these specific things for these tourism purposes. It's just, let's have a good time, and anything that comes with it is gravy. Yeah, the, the more fun that we found that the more fun we have in planning and organizing and running the event, 
the more attractive it is for other people. And so if we just keep having fun, coming up with fun, weird ideas um, that we can laugh about, that that tends to roll right over into people's interest in coming up and joining the fun. I, I will give a just a small, short example of fun, crazy, weird ideas. Uh, but in going with the stump fiddle competition, at one point had the idea of getting a trophy. And this trophy was going to be a taxidermied squirrel uh, holding a miniature stump fiddle. Um, so go ahead. I just want you to close your eyes and picture um, that that weirdness right there. We couldn't get it this year, but there's still years to come. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> possibly uh, in the future, we can actually make that a reality. <laughs> So I'll open this up to, to all three of you, but what, what's your favorite part of the weekend? Is it the food? Is it the activities? Is it a specific event that you, that you come out for? Like, what's your favorite part of this each, each year? I guess I'll start. Honestly, the first thing that pops into my head is that Saturday morning and just being able to walk around and greet people and seeing the smiles on their face uh, faces. It's just, it, it, really, it really pulls together the hard work that we do to pull it off and you know, just to get out there and make sure that people are enjoying themselves. It, it really is something that stands out to me. Um, I think for me, it's a weekend that my family likes to come up and and spend up here when otherwise they would, you know, probably hold out for better weather. And so they come up and we get to hang out all day and just, you know, walk around, go home, come back. It's very low key and and feels fun and easy. I, I, I agree with you, Dan. It's just like it's cool to when you get holed up for a while, just to go out and then you see a bunch of faces you haven't seen in a little while and just finding different, it's as simple as like finding a different environment to entertain yourself. It's like a lot of the same things you might do a different time of year, but just doing it in a different place, doing it down by the water in the snow, something about that just, I don't know, just feels more fun. <laughs> it's nothing really, there, there is something special to it, but it's like, you know, it's a lot of what we do in the summer. We're just doing it in the snow and bundled up now. And for some reason that just seems like a lot of fun. And I also wanted to mention, too, before I forget, plugging away at the businesses that are involved, Hands-On Art Studio is also doing, they have their Friday night, adult night, the weekend of the festival. And so you can stop down there um, on Friday night and they'll have a bunch of different projects that you can do and things you can make. Um, so it's kind of a fun way to start the weekend. That's probably one of the big things that I appreciate about the weekend is that everything kind of comes back to life almost. Like hands-on art and the Peninsula School of Art and all of these things, they do really cool events during this weekend. So it's like just that that heartbeat in the middle of winter to remind you that like, oh yeah, all of this stuff is still going on. And, you know, I'm, I might be head down at work over the winter or hibernating or whatever, but there's like, like this one weekend where you can jump up and be like, oh, there's a ton of stuff going on. Um, and it's part of that like expansion of the shoulder seasons and even moving into winter and, and keeping... Door County, not only a great place for people to come up and visit, but uh, a cool place to live as well. Yeah, definitely. It's fun for locals. It's fun for those that are visiting. Um, I, and I think everyone combined can find something fun to do throughout the weekend, no matter what. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in and chatting with us about Winterfest. Looking forward to it. It's the uh, first weekend of February, so it'll be uh, one week from today is when setup begins. I won't be able to make it, unfortunately. I'm going to be out of town, uh, but I've... That's the other funny thing about Winterfest. I've never been, but I've seen so much footage and I've put together so many videos with Winterfest as a focus <laughs> that it's almost like I've been there. So I'm looking forward to seeing an even better Winterfest next year. Thanks a lot, guys, and uh, we'll, we'll see you this weekend. Thanks a lot. Thank you. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. 
For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Andrew. I'm back. You thought the podcast was over, but nope, here it is. Still going. If you liked our discussion about Winterfest, Peninsula Filmworks put together a short teaser trailer for the upcoming event where uh, Matt Markon, who you might know from the Weekend Primer, trains for the Winterfest. And it's a really funny video. We had a lot of fun shooting it. We actually went out in the snowstorm to capture really cool uh, Rocky-inspired training montage Uh, And we put something together and that's going to be up on doorcountypulse.com. Should be up now as the podcast is live. So go check it out and watch Matt try to throw a bicycle.